Good morning. How is everybody? <laughs> Good. At the seven o'clock, I asked that, and it was just kind of like it was seven o'clock, you know. <laughs> so uh, I was half coherent. Um, so a couple of things. Um, one, well, welcome. Glad you guys are here uh, this morning. Kind of a special weekend. And if you're a visitor, I'm, I'm really glad you're here. And that'll lead me to something that I'll, I'll tell you here in a second. The first thing is, um, this is not important. It's kind of dumb, but I just wanted to share it with you. So earlier this week, I have this, <laughs> I have this bad habit of leaving like half glass full cups of water around the house. If you've ever seen signs, that girl, I'm not quite that bad, but, but I will drink a glass of water and I'll leave it like sitting around and then I'll go back and like drink it later, which I know you, you can judge me all you want on that, whatever. But, uh, and so um, it's kind of a bad habit. I do it and I don't like to waste things. So even if it was just water, I don't want to waste it. So I'll, I'll drink it. And um, so the other day, earlier this week, I left a glass of water between our two couches. We have a little, little table and then there's the back door where we let our dog in and out all the time. And I left this glass of water. And so um, I woke up that morning, allergies were killing me. And um, <laughs> amen. And so um, I'm waiting on my daughter cause she's a teenager and I take her to school four days a week. And, and I'm always like, you know, what are we doing? Anyway, so uh, waiting on my daughter, my allergies are killing me. I go grab an Allegra and I go over to the cup, I, cause I gotta wash it down with something, you know, and don't wanna dirty another glass, waste the water. So go over there and take the glass from last night, go to wash down the Allegra. Uh, there's something in the glass and it's moving. And, um, and I guess some, sometime when letting our dog in and out, a bug had flown in and then just went right into my cup of water and I drank it and uh, I spit it out and I almost vomited and then it hit me. This is not the first time I have drank a bug uh, about a year ago. <laughs> Who can say such a thing, right? Um, about a year ago, it was in the middle of summer and I was in one of my old cars. I'm a big old car guy and I'm driving around in one of my old cars and it wasn't running right. So I pulled over at the BP at the corner of Thompson Lane and Broad and, and uh, I pull in there barely get in because my car is dying. I pop the hood, work on it for about 30 minutes. I'm doing stuff. And I had bought a, uh, a glass bottle of, I don't know, like Coca-Cola or something. An old Driving an old car, you got to drink a you know, glass bottle of Coca-Cola. So it's sitting there in the console. I finally get the car running. I go in my car. I take a big swig of this Coke and there was a wasp in there that had crawled in. Um, that was unpleasant. It uh, stung my tongue. And um, just out of a natural reaction, I throw the bottle down, which was glass, and it shattered, and, and, and all these people are just kind of looking at me, and I'm like all dirty, and I'm driving this old weird car, and just threw this glass bottle down. So I clean it all up, my tongue is swelling rapidly, and I go into the BP gas station to get like a big 64 ounce, big gulp, whatever, of ice and some kind of soda, and I'm gonna try to get the swelling for my, my tongue to go down. And I go in and I get the big thing, you know, 90% ice, and there's like a little bit of soda in there, and, and uh, I walk up to the front, and the cashier has, he's, he's looking at me, his eyes are just super big, and he just goes, hey, pastor, take it, it's on the house. He goes, <laughs> he goes I saw the whole thing, <laughs> and I was like, and I couldn't say thank you because I couldn't talk. I just went above of that. And I walked out. And uh, yeah, so there you go. Yeah, if you've had a bug in your mouth, I'm with you. I, I can empathize with you. So that had nothing to do with what we're going to talk about today. This has something to do with what we're going to talk about today. If you're new to the church, we typically go through whole books of the Bible. We're in a book of the Bible called 1 Corinthians. 
which is a blast. Um, and we've been working through it. And I, it's somewhat facetious because it's a tough book. But we were in chapter 11 last week. We did half of it. And what I do, if you're new, is every single week I'll kind of throw up a thesis, right? Kind of like a target. Here's what we're going to kind of talk about today. And we'll go back and revisit it at the end of the lesson. If you weren't here last weekend, when we were doing the first half of chapter 11, kind of the thesis or the big thing we talked about was in our society today, we are a people that try to make God in our image versus living in his image. And that's not working, right? It's not working, it's very evident. Every study, every university, every think tank is all putting out the same results that we're a more divided people, we're a more aggressive people, we're a more depressed people, a more violent people than we've ever been, right? And so our way is not working. That's what we talked about last weekend. This weekend, uh, I'm gonna be teaching a little bit differently. I typically don't teach on a topic and I typically don't bounce around from book to book. I'll do that a little bit today, not a whole lot. We'll go from Luke to Matthew to Romans and that's, that's it. And, um, but today we're gonna talk about the resurrection because it's Easter weekend and it's a very, very special weekend for Christians. And if you're not a Christian in here, hopefully I'll explain a little bit as to why this is such a special day, okay? So if you have a Bible, Luke, Matthew, Romans, all in the New Testament, all very close together, uh, you should have got a notes handout when you came in. That'll have everything I'm gonna say in there. Everything will be on all the different screens around the room. And if you have a smartphone, the Experience Community app, that's the best way. It'll have all the scripture. It'll have all the notes. Just, just push sermon notes and it's all right there. Pretty easy to follow along, Okay. So I'm gonna pray and um, we'll work through this today. And uh, just really, really glad you're here. I hope something today is, is provocative to you. Even if you got uh, manipulated by your mom to come today or whatever the case may be. I remember those days when I was younger, right? Um, I hope something today just kinda, kinda stirs you up a little bit, gets you thinking a little bit. So let me pray and we'll dive into this, all right? Father, Lord, we love you. God, thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for everyone in this room. Thank you, God, that we have the freedom and the, the, the liberty, God, to be able to come in here, uh, to worship you the way that we want to worship you, God, to study your word, to talk about it. Thank you, Lord, for what this weekend represents, your resurrection. And um, thank you, God, uh, for all the churches in our community. And we pray blessings over all the churches in our community. And we pray, God, that we can be the light and the salt that we need to be to the world around us. God, bless our other campuses and all the churches in those cities, Lord. And I just pray that everything we do today, that it brings us closer to you and that it honors you, God, by what we study. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to start in the book of Luke. I'm going to read a little bit, and I'm not going to break it down as intricately as we typically would. I'm going to kind of do like a 30,000-foot view, okay, and just give us an idea of this, this, this belief in the resurrection. Let me read a little bit. On the first day of the week... Very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, but they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. Those were angels. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, it is necessary 
that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. So if you've never read through the Bible or if you've never taken any time to study the Bible, the first big chunk of the Bible is called the Old Testament, right? The first 39 books of it are called the Old Testament. The entire Old Testament before Jesus comes on the scene is a huge flashing arrow to the coming of Jesus. All throughout the Old Testament, it was prophesied or foretold that not only would a savior come and restore the relationship between mankind and God, that the way that that relationship would be restored is through that savior giving his life by dying for humanity. So because humanity had strayed so far from God, a sacrifice had to be made. It sounds barbaric, but blood had to be shed to pay for the sins of the world and not only pay for all the mistakes and sins of the world, but to open up a door so God and man can have that relationship again. So we can commune more closely with God. So what was happening in the passage that I just read to you was there were two or three women. We don't know exactly if it was just the two Marys or if there was actually a third woman with them, but uh, let's say three women showed up and they were there three days after Jesus had been crucified because Jesus never received proper burial rites. Now, these women had no idea how they were gonna get this massive stone out of the way. Maybe they could find the groundskeeper or, or something and, and get this stone removed so they could go in and do proper burial rites, but they had no idea. They left super early in the morning. The sun wasn't even up yet like it was on my drive to work today. Anyways, so they go out and um, they wanna perform these proper burial rites. When they get there, they're shocked because the tomb has been opened. And they're like, we didn't expect that. So they go into the tomb, right, to see the body of Jesus, perform these burial rites with these spices that they had, and there's no body. As they see that there is no body in this tomb, a couple of angels show up, and I love what they say. They say, ladies, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. So what's fascinating is this. They should have expected him to not be there. Why? Because Jesus had been telling his disciples this. He says, it's necessary. I'm gonna be, it's crazy. They were all shocked by this, but Jesus said, look, I'm gonna get arrested. They're gonna kill me, but I'm gonna raise from the dead. And he said this to them for, a, for quite a while. And then it all took place and they were all shocked by this. Here's the thing though. The, 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 the whole Christian faith and what is truly powerful about the story of Christ is not his death. We talk a lot about the crucifixion and we should talk about that. That's, that's important. But Jesus's death isn't as crucial as the fact that he was resurrected. The reason why is we can all give our lives for people. We can sacrifice our lives to save someone else's life. Any of us in this room with enough courage can do that but there is only one person that could die for the souls of mankind. And that was the son of God. He died for our salvation. He didn't just die though. He was raised from the grave in order that we can be recipients of the spirit of God and that one day we can be resurrected, but, but I'm jumping ahead of myself. I will get to that here in a second. The point of this first part is this. All of Christianity hinges on the belief that Jesus not only willingly died, but that he rose again on the third day for the forgiveness of our sins. That is the bedrock of our faith. 
And so if you're in here and you're not a Christian, at the source of Christianity's foundation is that we don't believe Jesus was just a good man. We believe Jesus is the creator God, that he is the savior of mankind. And without a belief in the resurrection, there can be no Christianity and there can be no salvation. This is a big deal, okay? But listen, let's go backwards a little bit. If you have a Bible, we're in the book of Matthew, uh, verse, uh, chapter 27, start in verse 32. Let's talk about what led to the resurrection, the crucifixion, okay? Matthew writes, as they're going out, they found a Cyrenian man named Simon. This was an African Jew. They forced him to carry Jesus' cross. When they came to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, they gave him wine mixed with gall to drink. But when he tasted it, he refused to drink it. After crucifying him, they divided his clothes by casting lots. Then they sat down and they were guarding him there. Above Jesus's head, they put the charge against him in writing, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two criminals were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. Those who passed by were yelling insults at him and shaking their heads saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him and said he saved others, but he can't save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we'll believe him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he takes pleasure in him. For he said, I am the son of God. And in the same way, even the criminals who were crucified with him taunted him. Now, most people have never heard of crucifixion outside of Jesus Christ, but people had been getting crucified long before Jesus was physically on the scene. What, what crucifixion was, was it was kind of the Roman's masterpiece when it came to punishing criminals. Crucifixion wasn't just a death. Crucifixion was the most brutal, humiliating, slow death that one could possibly imagine. Typically, when people were crucified, it would take hours or sometimes days for people to die. And they would typically die of cardiac arrest or they would die of suffocation because they couldn't breathe. They would have to push themselves up to get a breath and eventually their, their body just couldn't do it anymore. Or they would die of blood loss. So in Jerusalem, which was a Roman territory, when criminals would be crucified, they would take them out of the city. They would crucify them on a hill called Golgotha, which was strategically placed because people would pass this hill to come in and out of the city. So a good way to deter crime, right, according to the Romans, is actually have people dying on stakes of wood as people came in and out of the city. And this is where Jesus was brought, and this is where he was crucified. Let's say, for instance, you bought this book, right? You read the entire Testament, you hear about this Savior, you get into the book of Matthew, and you read all the beautiful, wonderful things about Jesus, the beautiful things he said, the miracles he did, how he loved the, the, the people who were on the edge of, of society and the fringe, and then all of a sudden he's unlawfully arrested. He's beaten and he is killed, right? And even when you watch a movie like The Passion of the Christ, the brutality and the injustice, 
even in a Hollywood movie, doesn't even do, uh, d- doesn't do how, how gruesome and how awful this must have been. So why did a good man have to die? Jesus hadn't broken any laws. It even says that they took his, his crime, wrote it down and put it above his head on the cross. His only crime was is that he claimed to be the king of the Jews, which he was. The real reason that Jesus was crucified was because Jesus came to tell an arrogant and broken humanity that their path wasn't working, that it was leading to destruction, that it was leading to damnation. And just like today, because we can be quite arrogant, we don't like to be told that our ways are wrong. And this is what got Jesus crucified. It wasn't just that though. Again, if you go way back to the beginning of this book in Genesis chapter three, We see the prophecy of Jesus coming. God says, right, that one day I will send someone to stomp on the head of the devil to rectify the wrongs that all the the evil things that people had done and continue to do. So listen, though it was awful that an innocent man had to be, be, be killed in this way, though it was awful that it had to be the son of God that had to go through this barbaric act, it was necessary. Jesus even said that in Luke that it is necessary that I go through this. Why? Because humanity had accumulated a massive debt to God. We had done so many evil things. And I find it fascinating that it is not accidental or coincidental that Jesus was crucified between two sinners. That the placement of the Savior between two broken people is kind of a physical representation of what the Bible's all about. That that God inserted himself into mankind, that he lived a life through Jesus Christ that we are to model, that we are to read about and study and try to emulate that kind of life. And that Jesus came to give his life, to pay for the sins of the past, to pay for the sins that were going on currently when this was written, and to pay for all the sins that would happen in the future all of our evil thoughts, all of our evil actions. And it wasn't because Jesus deserved it. Jesus didn't deserve it. He was perfect. We were the ones that deserved it. When I read the story of the crucifixion, I'm gonna tell you, even more than the physical brutality that that Jesus went through, I think what bothers me the most about the crucifixion was the mental and emotional turmoil he had to go through. The fact that they spat on him the fact that they mocked him and made fun of him. If we understand that Jesus, John said all things were created through him, by him, for him. If we understand Jesus to be the creator God, and then we read about how his own creation made fun of him. His own creation spat upon him, mocked him. So listen, when Jesus was crucified, it wasn't just him paying for the sins that we would commit. It is also Jesus taking on the emotional, the the humiliation, all the things that we have earned from the evil things we have done. We don't have to bear that shame. We don't have to bear that humiliation because not only did Jesus take the, the physical abuse we should have taken, he took the emotional abuse that we should have taken. He got the punishment that I deserved. Now, if you're in this room and you've never heard this before, The knowledge of that, the acknowledgement that Jesus took, what I deserved, this should humble us. And if you're a Christian in here, and maybe you've been a Christian for 40 years, this should still humble us. 
and it should inspire us to move as far away from evil as possible because we should have an understanding that my evil deeds are what put this barbaric act into motion. And we should want to move away from that. CSX agrees, they're like, get them, Corey, honking their horn. So let's jump down a couple of verses and let's dig into this a little bit more, okay? But Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Suddenly the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks split. The tombs were also opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And they came out of their tombs after his resurrection, entered the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they were terrified. And they said, truly, this man was the son of God. So Jesus hung on the cross for nine hours. He was tortured, he was beaten, he was ridiculed, he was made fun of. They nailed him to a hunk of wood and he hung on that tree for nine hours. It says that he cried out several times. He cried out and then Matthew goes on to say he cried out again with a loud voice and it says he gave up his spirit, which means he breathed his last breath, right? He gave up his life. Now, Matthew records something very interesting here. Right when Jesus died, right when he gave up his last breath, Matthew recorded a couple of different things that happened. And the first one is a little intriguing and we're gonna hang on it here in a second. He said, right when Jesus died, the temple that, or I'm sorry, the veil or the curtain that hung in the Jewish temple ripped from top to bottom. Not only that, the earth quaked and the rocks were split. And when the Roman soldiers, not all of them, but the centurion who would have been the boss, they were in charge of a hundred soldiers. The centurion that was there, he and the men that were with him saw the earthquake. I'm sure they felt the earthquake. And I find it fascinating. They say, surely this was no mere man that we just killed. This had to be the son of God. And they acknowledged who this was that they just crucified and nailed to a tree. Let's talk about this veil though for a second. This is why going through the Bible and dissecting it is so important because there's so much rich information in there. The veil that Matthew recorded was ripped from top to bottom is something that had been a part of Jewish culture for a long time. If you go way back to the beginning of your Bible in the second book of the Bible in the book of Exodus, which is the story about the Jewish people coming out of Egypt and their exodus, their exit, right, on their way to the promised land. During this journey to Israel, God told Moses, I need you to build a mobile temple called a tabernacle. He gave him all these specifics of what it looked like and what it was going to do is there was going to be a place in the temple called the Holy of Holies. And this would be where the presence of God would reside. Most people were not allowed back there. Only one person was allowed to go back annually to do certain things. But back in this Holy of Holies, this is where the presence of God was. This is where the Ark of the Covenant a big gold box, Raiders of the Lost Ark, if you've ever seen it, right? It's not in Germany, they don't know where it is. But this is where the Ark of the Covenant would reside, which was kind of the personification of God's spirit. And so what this veil did is it separated human access from God. 
It was a dividing line between the presence of God and humanity. That's what this veil was. Now this separation goes way back, way back to the first sin, right? When Adam and Eve first sinned in Genesis chapter three, that put a divide between humanity and God. If you keep on reading the Old Testament, man, if you think people are, are, are bad now, people have always been bad. You go back and read the book of Genesis, we did some crazy bad stuff. And because of all the evil that humanity did, this gap between us and God got bigger and bigger and bigger over time. But the thing is, is God had a plan. The whole time this chasm between us and God was growing, God knew that one day it would be rectified. God knew that one day he was gonna put a plan in motion that was going to bridge that gap between humanity and himself. And that goes back to the veil. Matthew records that right when Jesus died, not only did this veil, this dividing line between humanity and God's presence, not only did it rip, this is cool, it ripped from top to bottom. So if we just race through the scripture and we don't take a little bit of time to chew on it, we miss some really, really interesting nuances. And the fact that Matthew said that it ripped from top to bottom is important. This was a four inch thick curtain. So humans couldn't have possibly ripped that thing by hand, let alone ripped it from top to bottom. It would have been somewhere like 40 feet up in the air. There's no way that they could have gotten up there. And so when it ripped, what is so important about that nuance of top to bottom is it wasn't by mankind's hand or by mankind's work that we reconciled our relationship with God. It was by God's hand that this veil, this dividing line was torn apart. So what that means is we can't do anything to earn the relationship with God. God graciously extends his hand to us. It was by God's initiative that we can now experience a relationship with our creator. That's cool, right? All right, yeah, it is cool, awesome. So if you come here on a regular basis, we, we, the reason why we go through the, the, the Bible chapter by chapter, line by line, is you can't skip the hard stuff, and in this case, just the really, really weird stuff. So in this part that I just, it's not like sacrilegious of me to say there are weird parts in the Bible. There's talking donkeys, talking snakes, all kinds of strange stuff in there. And so this thing happens where it says that right when Jesus died, it said there were a bunch of saints who were dead that resurrected from the grave. Now, this is interesting. It says that they were resurrected right when Jesus died. And a lot of theologians believe this was such a spiritual thing that was happening. There was almost like a ripple effect. And so these bodies were resurrected, but it didn't say that they went into town yet. They waited until the resurrection of Jesus before they scared the bejesus out of their neighbors and friends and family, right? And went back in, hey, how you guys doing? This is one of those weird things. We don't know a lot about it. The Bible says it happened. We believe it's true. And we just have to just have to address it sometimes, fun stuff. But let's go back to the veil. What were the ramifications? What were the effects of this veil being torn? If you have a Bible, Romans chapter eight, verse 11. This is my favorite part that we're gonna read tonight or today. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. So then brothers and sisters, 
We are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you're gonna die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's spirit are God's sons. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, which means father, father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may be also glorified with him. What Paul is talking about is because we now have access to God, it changes everything. The first thing it changes, because the veil was torn apart and this division between us and the presence of God, this is an undoing. That veil being ripped was like the door being opened. Then now we have complete, all of us have complete access to God. That chasm between humanity and God has now been bridged. And the resurrection of Jesus is the undoing of the ramifications and the fear of death. But what that means is this. If you're in here and you're a follower of Jesus, we understand that we are not bodies with souls, we are souls with bodies. And that this body will come to an end, but our soul will live in eternity with Christ. So today what we're celebrating is grace. Today what we're celebrating is the fact that we have a second chance that, that, that you can come in here today and regardless of what you've done, regardless of what you are doing, regardless of the lifestyle you've lived, that we can be forgiven, that we don't have to carry around shame and guilt, that even if we owe everyone else in the world something, we can leave this place not owing God anything, that we can leave here completely free and changed and saved, that we get a fresh start. The tearing of the veil is also symbolic of the fact that God no longer resides in a building. There's nothing spiritual about church buildings. The only thing spiritual about this building is that a lot of spiritual people come into it. That's it. God is not in the brick or the steel or the mortar or any of that. That's not where God resides. God resides in you. And what does that say about God's thoughts on you? Must mean that he thinks you're pretty important that if we are followers of God, we are temples of God. This not only shows that God loves us, this is so important, it shows us that you're never alone. Even if you have no family, no friends, no one else, if we're following Christ, the Spirit, the same Spirit that resurrected Christ from the grave resides in us, resides in us. And that shows that we have tremendous value in God's eyes. That again, even if no one values you, God values you. And I love what Paul says. Because we have this full access to God, we are adopted sons and daughters of the King of Kings. That means that we receive the same benefits. That means that all the freedoms that the King enjoys because we are his children. And in this adoption, because we've been adopted into the family of God, Paul says, we don't have to live according to the flesh. What that means is we don't have to live according to our own destructive tendencies. 
We don't have to live in constant anxiety. We haven't been given a spirit, what Paul says, of slavery to live in fear. This isn't just a fear of death. We live in a culture right now that claims to be free, but we are 100% shackled, and most of it is by fear. Not just fear of death, but fear of not being affirmed, right? That's why social media is so big in our culture right now. And I'm not knocking on you, I have social media too. But social media is our way to get that affirmation, to get that sense of value, to get that sense of comfort. And God gives that to us. God has not given us a spirit that is constantly uh, um, um, trying to seek the affirmation and the approval of others. God has not given us this spirit of fear, of slavery. We can live content. We can live lives of purpose, of fulfillment, of freedom, because we know that God sees us, that God values us, that we have been adopted by him. And not just a change in this life, not only can we live this life to the fullest, right? With peace and contentment and joy, but we are given the promise of eternity. The veil tearing wasn't just an invitation for us to be reconciled to God now. It was a foreshadowing of the fact that one day you will be resurrected. One day you will be given a glorified body and you will get to go and be with God forever. I say this all the time, and if you've never heard me say this, it's something I love to say. It's a beautiful thing. The Bible says that, that when we get to heaven, right, you're not going to be like constantly mowing St. Peter's grass and digging ditches for, for God forever. That's not heaven. Paul says we are co-heirs. Let that sit in for a second. That when we get to our eternity, the reason why Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, in my father's house are many mansions and I have to go prepare a place to, for, for you is because when we get into Revelation 20 and 21, when it tells us about our eternity, when we get into heaven, God is gonna stand and he's gonna go, it's yours. Listen, it's not so much about avoiding hell, it's about inheriting heaven. That's why we have a relationship with God. That's why we become co-heirs. And so one day Jesus is going to welcome us in and he's gonna say, I made a new earth for you. Explore it, it's beautiful, it's perfect. I've made a new universe for you. Explore it, it's beautiful, it's perfect. I made this beautiful city for you, for you to hang out in and enjoy and fellowship with other people. Can I show you around, right? We're, we're, we're inheriting this together. That's what Jesus is doing for us. Do you know what's amazing about the resurrection of Christ? The resurrection of Jesus really has nothing to do with Jesus. Jesus didn't need a resurrection. You needed a resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus is always about your resurrection. He did it so we could one day be brought up and resurrected ourselves. Why? This may be the most elemental thing I could ever say to you, but someone needs to hear it. God loves you. Jesus loves you. He wants the best for you. That's why. That's why Jesus came. That's why he gave his life. That's why he modeled how to live. That's why he was crucified and resurrected. That's why the veil was torn. The veil was torn so that our lives can be put back together. That this morning, we have the opportunity to be forgiven. There is no reason that anyone should leave this building today with any sin in their heart. 
There's no reason that anyone should leave this building today not being completely square with your creator, that we can start the restoration process, that we can be given the tools because we can be temples of the Holy Spirit of God. That gives us the tools we need to live honorable lives, to live lives of peace, to live lives of contentment and fulfillment, to live lives of purpose, because the Spirit is with us always and it leads us and guides us and gives us the, the, the tools that we need. Why should you care? And why am I being so serious, right? We should have bunnies parachuting out of planes by this, by, by this time, right? There should be iPads under all your seats and it should be games and shenanigans. And listen, I'm all for, I'm all for you guys enjoying this day but you should care and we should get a little serious because quite frankly, the world is falling apart. And I'm not talking about people way off in the distance. I'm talking about your neighbors. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about your family. We live in a society and in a culture that is drowning in confusion and hopelessness and anxiety and in fear. Aren't we an aggressive people? Have you not noticed how aggressive we've become? It feels like people are constantly on edge, constantly anxious about something. And the reason why this is, is there is a distance between us and God. But there doesn't have to be a distance. That's the beauty about what we're talking about today. God is accessible because of the death, because of the resurrection. We don't have to live in despair. We can live in hope. We don't have to live in chaos. We can live in peace. We don't have to live in, 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 in um, aggression. We can live in love. We can find contentment. We can be restored. We don't have to burn bridges. We can construct new bridges. This is why we should care. We should care because the world is chaotic. If you have children right now, I feel like every day is like a new alignment, right? They come home and we have to talk about heavy issues even at nine and 13 years old, and almost like this constant realignment. And not just our kids. Man, if you're an adult in here, it's hard to navigate life because there's so many distractions, there's so much confusion, there's so much evil around us and so many voices telling us lies all the time. So not only is the navigation of life hard, much less finding joy and peace in this life, it's becoming more and more difficult. So why should we care about what we've talked about today? We should care because there is not a study out there right now. I'm talking about secular institutions that will tell you that people are better now than we were 10 years ago or 20 years ago. We're more violent. We're more aggressive. We're more depressed. We're more angry. We're more divided than we've ever been, which proves to me that we are incapable of doing this without help. We're incapable of leading our family. We're incapable of leading our friends. We're incapable of a healthy society. Our future is in jeopardy because we need God's guidance. So again, listen, I'm not trying to be like Debbie Downer on Easter. That's not what I'm trying to be. But Jesus died. Jesus was resurrected. The veil was torn. Not only so we can be saved from damnation, but that we can change today. That our marriages can start looking better. 
that our, our, our work situations can start being better, that we can start living as the salt and the light of the world like God wants us to be. But here's the thing, we have to choose that. We have to make a decision to, to stop pursuing what I want and my desires that are not working in society. And we have to choose to follow Jesus Christ. We have to trust him. And here's the other thing about that. We don't have forever to make that decision. And again, I'm not trying to get all heavy on you this morning, but I have to speak the truth to you. In 2017, I did 17 funerals, 17 funerals in 2017. The only one out of those 17 funerals that I did, there was only one over the age of 40. The rest of them were under the age of 40. All throughout 2017, I did these funerals for as young as 17 years old, all the way up into the mid-30s, and one that was over 40 years old. And I would look at all these young people, and I would share the gospel, and I would say, listen, as there's a body of a deceased person in the room, listen, you don't have forever to make up your mind. You are not promised tomorrow. You are not promised longevity. In every day that passes, we are one day closer either to our death or to Jesus Christ's imminent return. That's a fact. We don't have forever to make this choice because in the meantime, while we're just doing us, right? People's lives are falling apart. Your life may be falling apart. We've got to take this seriously. But I want to tell you this again. Man, again, it's so simple. But again, someone needs to hear it. God loves you. God values you. That if we will just humble ourselves, if we will just trust him, he has good plans for us. That God doesn't want us to experience the ramifications of sin. That's why Paul said, by the Spirit's help, we don't have to live a life according to the flesh, which leads to death. And that's not just literal death. That can be the death of marriage, the death of friendship, the death of contentment and joy. It can be all kinds of manifestations of death, but we don't have to experience that because if we will humble ourselves and, and if we will just approach God and say, God, if you don't know what else to pray today, God, I just need help. And God will help. He will give us direction. God will give us the ability to truly love. We live in a culture right now that loves, but it's very conditional love. I'll love you as long as we vote along the same party lines. I'll love you as long as we agree ideologically. I'll love you as long as you're the right color, the right gender, the right preference to my liking, then I'll love you. And that's not biblical love. It is only through the spirit of God that we can love all humans and treat all humans with dignity and respect. Not only will the spirit of God teach us to love, the spirit of God teaches us what our true value is. It teaches us who we are. I say it all the time, but we live in a society right now that is trying to put its identity in everything. And the reason why there is so much chaos and confusion and depression and aggression is because when we try to find our identity in anything other than the one thing we are made in the image of, we will always be confused. We will always live in chaos. We will always live in aggression because we're trying to be something that we're not. It doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. If you are in this room this morning and you are lacking fulfillment, contentment, peace, answers, joy, direction, these things are available to you, okay? Would you bow your heads with me, please?
If you're new to the church, um, every single weekend we kind of offer three different things, ways for you to kind of respond, if you will. The first one is up here on my right, your left, Pastor Jonathan, who helps with all of our discipleship processes. He is up here on my right, your left. If you are in this room and maybe you're not a believer, or maybe you're a brand new believer and you just got a lot of questions, if you wanna come up and talk to Jonathan, he would love to talk with you. We're not afraid of questions. We encourage questions. If you are in this room and you need prayer for anything in your life, there are men and women on both sides of the stage that would love to pray with you, okay? The last thing is this. All the way around this room, and we have some people standing up in the aisles just to, to help you do it a little bit faster today. All the way around this room, there is communion. That is bread and wine that represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. The fact that God loved you so much that he gave his only son, that if, if we just ask God to forgive us of our sins, that we can partake in remembering the crucifixion of Jesus. But here's what I want you to think about today if you decide to take communion. Don't meditate so much on the fact that Jesus died for you. Meditate, think, and thank God for the fact that he didn't stay dead that Jesus Christ rose from the grave in order that one day you and I will resurrect as well. Hope, hope. Father, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, for everyone in this room who may struggle with peace or direction or contentment or confusion or chaos. God, I pray, Lord, that it is abundantly clear that we have access to you that if we need your help, God, and all of us do, that all we have to do is humble ourselves and call your name. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this room that does not have a relationship with you, Father, I pray that they would seek you out. If there's anyone asking questions, God, I pray that they keep digging, Lord, and eventually they'll find the answer. And for those of us who may be Christians for a long time, God, Lord, don't let us ever forget the magnitude of what this day represents. Lord, we love you. We thank you, we praise you, and we pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. You're welcome to help yourself. Happy Easter. Love you guys.